And as we get started, I kind of want to throw out this question and see your reaction. This is a good opportunity for you to do some audience participation part. And so when you guys think of the word rules, what comes to mind, right? What do you guys think? Does the word rules instill in you like excitement, joy, or does it cause a negative reaction? Go ahead, spit some stuff out. What do you think? Boring. Boring. What else? Break them. Okay, that leads to my next question. Like, are some of you in this room wired to be natural rule keepers and rule followers, or are you more like rule breakers? Rule breakers. <laughs> rule breakers. Okay. I feel, I feel like, you know, you're always one of those two. And one of the things that I also see is there are some people in life that just have the gift of finding every possible loophole. You know what I'm talking about? There's that person. Like, there's this rule, and then there's the person who finds the very loophole to that rule. Oh, yeah, <laughs> I've seen some fingers pointed. This is great. I have an awesome vantage point from here, seeing different people's reactions. You know, when you live in the city of Miami, or maybe you're new to the city of Miami, there's this one rule that, well, to be quite frankly, kind of gets abused all the time. You know what it is? It's called the speed limit. <laughs> I'm convinced that most people in Miami, when they see the speed limit, they translate it as like, well, that's got to be the recommendation for the lowest possible speed I got to go, right? Like, that's the limit. Like, you definitely can't go lower than 55, 65, 75. That's the floor, right? That's, that's how some people try to interpret it. And why do I bring all this up? And, and here's why. You know, as I've talked to many people as they've tried to explore Christianity and its teachings, there, there are some people that are just convinced that Christianity is just a subset of rules, like, they, they've heard of Christianity, they've heard about the teachings of Jesus. Oh, well, hello. Guitar down. And all they think about is, like, rules. And this passage, what we're going to see is Jesus has a lot to say about that, and he helps us rightfully understand the place of the Old Testament law as it's being fulfilled in his life, ministry, and teaching, and what that means for you and for me as we approach God the one true living God, our creator. And so this morning, if you're taking notes, I want to encourage you to do so. I want to challenge you to write down this simple statement. This would be like the whole sermon wrapped up into one truth. And this is what we're going to slowly unpack as we read the text and as we go through the different verses. Here's kind of the big idea. This is what we're going to get to. And it's simply this. Jesus fulfilled the law and he challenges us to faithfully obey and teach the word of God. We're going to see Jesus fulfilled the law. And he challenges us to faithfully obey and teach the word of God. Now, we are currently in a series entitled Live Different, where we're kind of exploring the gospel of Matthew. And in this series, we've focused in on chapters 5, 6, and 7. And we're studying the Sermon on the Mount. This is the largest collection of Jesus' teachings ever recorded in the New Testament in one single spot and to me, this is such a great opportunity. If you're new to the faith or you're just exploring, what a great opportunity to just sit and follow along and hear what Jesus had to say on so many different things in life and faith. And so we're right in the middle of that. And I got to tell you, this passage today is a very tricky passage. And I would say in church history, this set of verses has caused a lot of discussion and even controversy as people have tried to explain it one way or another. You have a school of thought. Some people try to use these verses to explain away the need for the Old Testament. And then you have people on the other side of the argument that use these verses to uphold the importance of the Old Testament as it relates to the New Testament. 
And as you're thinking through the Testaments, old and new, and, and here's what I kind of want to explain there. The Bible as we know it today is a collection of 66 different books written by over 40 different human authors over the span of 1,500 years, and they're organized in two major sections. You have the Old Testament, the 39 books of the Old Testament were books written before the life of Jesus Christ. And then you have the New Testament, the 27 books written after the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so those are the two parts of the Bible brought together. The word testament just means covenant. So we have the old covenant as pointing to the Messiah, and then you have the new covenant as fulfilled through Christ. That is, in essence, what we're going to try to understand today as it relates to us and Jesus' teaching. Let's go back through the verses and read them once again. Matthew 5, 17 says this. Don't think that I came to abolish the law or the prophets. This is Jesus speaking. I did not come to abolish but to fulfill. For truly I tell you until heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest letter or one stroke of a letter will pass away from the law until all things are accomplished. Look at verse 19. Therefore whoever breaks one of the least of these commands and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never get into the kingdom of heaven. Now this passage is of vital importance in the Sermon on the Mount. Because it's going to set the tone and the context for the next six sections of Jesus explaining certain teachings. And it's really going to do, what it's really going to do is put Jesus' authority on display to all those who've gathered to hear Jesus teach. So much so that if you were to fast forward to the end of the Sermon on the Mount and you read the people's reaction, everyone stood there in awe at the authority by which Jesus was doing his teaching. It caused everyone to stop and ask themselves, who is this person that he can speak with such authority about God's word? And what he's going to do over the next six sections, this passage is validating why he's able to do this. And what he does is he's going to use a certain phrase, and in the weeks to follow as we dive into these passages, you'll see Jesus introduce this phrase, you've heard it said, then he fills in the blank, but I'm going to tell you. And, and what he's in essence going to do over the next few weeks as we study this is, hey, you've heard it passed down through tradition that this is what the word of God was teaching, but I'm going to correct your misunderstanding and tell you that it's actually this. Jesus is going to elevate some of the commands that they had grown up to hearing and show them that it was meant to be applied in such a deeper sense. Like a couple examples, he says, you've heard it said you should not murder, and they had the Ten Commandments, they knew thou shalt not kill, and they would live by that. But then he goes on and he adds to that and he explains. But really what I'm trying to get to is that if you're harboring hatred in your heart towards someone else, in essence, you're murdering that person in your heart. And he takes this truth that they had heard and were familiar with, but he goes beyond the exterior physical and he goes straight to a matter of the heart. He even goes, another example is he goes into adultery. You've heard said you should not commit adultery, but I say that even if you lust after someone else, you're committing adultery with that person in your heart, right? So Jesus is going to come and say, hey, I'm coming to fulfill, to bring to fruition, to bring to a final explanation the law to help you understand what it is that God demands of us. And so let's look at the first truth. We're going to look at three truths to help us understand this passage. The first is this, Jesus 
fulfills the law. And right there in the verse 17 where he talks about the law and the prophets, that's an expression that Jesus would use to talk about the Old Testament in its entirety. The law being the Torah, the first five books, and every other book that was written by the prophets. When the Jews would speak about that term, it was a way of them bookending and talking about the Old Testament in its entirety. And so he's saying, I came not to destroy. He's like, I didn't come to abolish the Old Testament. I came to fulfill it. And i got to be honest with you, we're going to see this as we continue to study the Gospel of Matthew, that Jesus oftentimes is accused by the religious elite, the religious leaders of his day, as trying to come in and teach and preach a new religion. But he wasn't preaching and teaching a new religion. He was helping bring the right interpretation of the Old Testament to his listeners, to his followers. The purpose of Jesus' coming was not to destroy the law, but to fulfill it. He wants us to understand he wanted to bring completion to everything to which the Old Testament was originally pointing to. Now, we got to be honest with ourselves, right? If you've spent time in the church, if you have spent time exploring the New Testament, this is a tricky passage because in some ways, at first glance, it's easy to think, well, you know, in some ways, Jesus did kind of bring an end to some of the demands of the Old Testament. I mean, as New Testament believers, we're no longer under the food laws described in the Old Testament. We're not under the ceremonial laws described in the Old Testament. We're no longer under the sacrificial system described in the Old Testament. And so it begs the question, what was Jesus getting at? Like, what was Jesus trying to accomplish with such a controversial saying? And I think the secret is for us to understand the word fulfill. Like, what does that word mean? And once we understand that word, how is it that Jesus fulfills the Old Testament? And that's what we're going to try to unpack right now. And it's important to understand that Jesus, he didn't come to replace the written word of God. He came to bring it to completion. There's a commentator, Leon Morris, who wrote in his commentary to help us understand how to use this word fulfill. And he says there's three ways this word can be used in this context. The first is Jesus was able to do all the things laid down in Scripture. He said the second thing is Jesus was going to be able to bring out the full meaning of Scripture. And then the third thing he says is through his life and teaching, he was going to finally bring Scripture to its completion. Like it would find its completion in him. Another scholar that I love reading, Dr. D.A. Carson, he wrote this, Jesus fulfills the law and the prophets in that they all point to him. Don't miss this. He is their fulfillment. Isn't that powerful and beautiful? Jesus, in essence, is saying the creator of the universe has entered into his creation in the form of man. And we saw this earlier in the Gospel of Matthew with the birth of Jesus. God takes on the form of man, enters into his story, enters into his creation. And he now is standing before all these people and he's saying, I have finally come in person to bring all the Old Testament to its completion and fulfillment in me and my life and my ministry and eventually my sacrificial death. What a powerful statement to wrestle with. This is such a bold claim that Jesus is making by saying such a powerful phrase in front of all of these religious people. He is saying, I am God. 
I am the Messiah to which the Old Testament was always pointing to. The anointed king, the people of Israel always were hoping for that all the prophets described and talked about. Jesus is standing in front of all these people saying, that's me. I came not to destroy the Old Testament, but to show you that it's going to be completed through me, in me, my life, my ministry, my sacrifice. What a powerful and bold claim. And it's so important for us to understand the law was never intended to be the means by which people were made right with God. Instead, the law served the purpose of pointing people to Jesus, the Messiah. So let's look at some examples of how Jesus, through his life, through his ministry, fulfilled and brought to completion, filled to the full, the Old Testament. One is Jesus fulfilled all the messianic prophecies of the Old Testament. There are 300, over 300 different prophecies in the Old Testament, pointing to a future Messiah. I'm not great at math, and I don't claim to be, but can you just for a moment think about probabilities? It's hard enough to nail down one prophecy and a prediction hundreds and a thousand years from now, but to nail down over 300 prophecies through your life and your ministry and your teaching, what an incredible claim That Jesus Christ comes out and says, I've come to fulfill, and his life and ministry fulfills 300 messianic prophecies. Another way that Jesus fulfilled the Old Testament is Jesus perfectly obeyed God's law without failing, without sin. Accomplishing what no other human being has ever been able to do, Jesus was able to live it out to its fullest extent in perfection. Another way Jesus fulfills the Old Testament is by paying for the righteous demands of the law. And we're going to study this a little bit more in another passage. And another way that he fulfills the Old Testament is he is able to deliver the promise of giving the Holy Spirit to all of his followers to be able to live the righteous life that he calls us to live. A beautiful promise in the Old Testament activated and made true through the life and ministry of Jesus Christ. Now what we see, I want us to focus back on how Jesus fulfilled the law by his obedience and his sacrificial death. And I want to draw your attention to a passage in Romans chapter 3. And here we have the Apostle Paul explaining this transaction that's taking place between Jesus and us and how this all kind of fits together. And Romans 3, look at verse 21. And this is the Apostle Paul writing. It says, But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been revealed, attested by the law and the prophets. The righteousness of God is through faith in Jesus Christ. To all who believe, since there is no distinction. I love verse 23. It's very important. It shows us our condition. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And what Paul's saying, look, there's not a single person that walks this earth that is sinlessly perfect. Every single one of us, if we're honest with ourselves, knows that we're flawed human beings. We know we have different tendencies in our hearts. We know we've acted out on those different tendencies. And according to God's law, it shows us his holiness, his standards, his perfection. We all at some point will come to grips with the fact that we, on our own efforts, our own merits, do not match up to the standard that God set. This verse 23 shows that every single one of us, because we have sinned, we have fallen short of the glory of God. But, but here's the good news. The, the verse doesn't end there. The passage doesn't end there. There's hope. Look at verse 24. They are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. God presented him as the mercy seat 
by his blood through faith to demonstrate his righteousness. Because in his restraint, God passed over the sins previously committed. God presented him to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time so that he would be just and justify the one who has faith in Jesus. Isn't that beautiful? That is the gospel. That is the good news. Everything the Old Testament was pointing to fulfilled in the life and sacrifice of Jesus Christ. That he brings the full completion of the Old Testament promises and delivers it to the people of God. And he is the very embodiment, the fulfillment of the scriptures, as D.A. Carson said earlier, they find their fulfillment in Christ. He is the final explanation. He is the final translation. He is the final understanding of everything the Old Testament was teaching and pointing to in Christ. What a powerful and beautiful thing for us to understand. And what you see is Jesus, knowing that he is the fulfillment and making that claim, he re-emphasizes that his purpose for coming into the creation wasn't to dismiss and do away with the Old Testament. And he doubles down to show us that the Old Testament is still the very word of God. There's still the covenants, the promises, the mandates, the moral code that God entrusted to his people preserved. And he doubles down. Look at verse 18 in this passage. He says, For truly I tell you, until heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest letter or one stroke of the letter will pass away from the law until all things are accomplished. And Jesus is in essence saying, look, every detail, even the smallest detail of the Old Testament finds its fulfillment in the life and teachings of Jesus. The smallest letter of the Hebrew alphabet will be the Yod. And it's kind of like similar to like our English apostrophe, just a small little marking. And in essence, what Jesus is saying is like, look, I so strongly believe in the authority of Scripture that I know the power of God has been able to preserve it, even to its smallest detail, for centuries to accomplish its intended purpose. And there are still beautiful teachings that are going to be culminated in the future. And what Jesus is saying, God will preserve his word until everything in it is brought to completion and fulfilled. That's powerful. That's something that we can go into knowing that it is trustworthy. Jesus believed in the endurance and in the authority of Scripture. So what I want to see is this transition takes place now in the text where once he's showing the crowd that, hey, I came to fulfill it, not to destroy it. So what implication does that have for your life and my life? Jesus, you see, not only fulfills the law, but what you see in the passage, he challenges his followers to obey the word of God. Here's our second truth. If you're taking notes, Jesus challenges us to obey the word of God. Look at verse 19. Jesus challenges us to obey the word of God. Verse 19 says, Therefore, whoever breaks one of the least of these commands and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Now, I want to be clear. This verse is not presenting a salvation issue. You don't do good works. You don't keep these commands in order to gain salvation from God. And at the same time, I want to clarify that this isn't also a loss of salvation issue. It's not saying that, hey, you can lose your status with God. You can lose your salvation by disobeying one of these commands. And so that is not at all what Jesus is getting at here. 
But what he is pointing out is that our rewards or even loss of rewards in the kingdom is connected to our obedience and our disobedience. Another way of saying it is that a wrong attitude to God's commandments reflects and means that somebody will have a different position, a lowly position in God's kingdom. And do you see what Jesus is doing with this wordplay? What he's showing people is like, look, hey, I know you guys are making some false claims about me. I didn't come to destroy God's word. I didn't come to minimize it. I didn't come to tell you like, hey, I'm here so you can disregard everything completely. He's saying, no, if if you truly want to live a life that is honoring and pleasing to me, it's a life where your attitude is devotion to God and keeping his commands and his word. Not because that's how you earn God's favor, not because that's how you earn salvation, but it's the outpouring and the outflow of your devotion to God. It is in response to your covenant relationship with God that you choose to live this life. Now, it's also important, right, that Jesus has already claimed that he's the fulfillment of the law. So for us, as followers of Jesus, it's living out the law as explained and fulfilled in Christ. You know, when Jesus was pushed by some of the religious leaders to try to pick one of the greatest commands from the Old Testament, what Jesus ended up doing was absolutely brilliant. Jesus took the entirety of the Old Testament law and he summed it up into two commands. And then he goes on to say, if you live these two commands, you will in essence obey the entirety of the Old Testament heart of the law. And what are those two commands? This is what he says. If you love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. And the second, if you will love your neighbor as yourself. And what Jesus is doing here as the fulfillment, as the one who can rightfully explain and bring to its culmination, he's saying, look, yes, there's a lot of stuff, but if you will just focus on wholehearted devotion to the Lord, think of all the decisions that that will guide you in. As you think through how to interact with the people that God has placed you around, if you choose to love someone else as yourself, think about how you would treat that person. Think about the things you wouldn't do to that person because you wouldn't want that done to you. And in essence, Jesus is bringing this translation and helping us understand this is the life of the kingdom that he's called us to, wholehearted devotion to him, where we don't place anything in our life above our walk with God, our relationship with God. And think about this vertical, horizontal relationship you got going on, this vertical with God and this horizontal to the people that God's placed around. Love your neighbor as yourself. And how powerful that he can take the word and help us understand. Jesus is upholding the need for obeying and then teaching the word of God. If you fast forward to the end of Matthew, you have the final teachings of Jesus captured before he ascends into heaven. And Matthew 28, 18 says this, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. This is Jesus speaking. And verse 19 is, Go and make disciples of all nations, Baptizing in the name of the Father, the Son, Holy Spirit. And then verse 20 says this, teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you. And behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. At the very last charge, Jesus is reminding his followers, the call to be a disciple, a devoted follower of Jesus, is obviously to love him wholeheartedly. But part of that journey is an obedience that leads us to teach others how to obey Jesus Christ on a consistent basis. It's obedience and teaching. That is the life of being a follower of Jesus. 
We have to personally obey the commands of Jesus, and then we have to take responsibility to pass them on to the people that God has placed around us. That is what discipleship ultimately is, to follow Jesus and to teach others to do the same. Think about parents in this room. What a great responsibility we have as parents to teach our kids about God and to teach kids how to follow after Jesus and to teach kids how to obey the commands of Jesus. It's ingrained in who we're called to be, obedience and teaching. And then we're going to turn a corner and get to like a very difficult verse. And guys, this has been a verse in verse 20 that has led a lot of people to a lot of confusion. And what I want us to realize is this is what Jesus is trying to get at. Jesus is, in essence, demanding a greater righteousness. And it's not just that he's saying, hey, I want you guys to be better than this person, because that's what a lot of people are afraid of when they first heard it. Let's read the verse, and then we'll dive into the, the semantics here. For I tell you, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never get into the kingdom of heaven. Strong statement. Very strong statement. And what in essence Jesus is saying, hey, the kingdom belongs to those whose righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and Pharisees. So who, who were the scribes and the Pharisees? Scribes were the keepers of the law. They would be very educated. They would be the ones in charge of copying the scriptures and preserving them, explaining them. The Pharisees would have been some of the elite teachers of the law in Jewish society, and they were known for having this incredibly righteous external type of lifestyle. And even to some extremes, like when there's one text that you can read about where they knew the Old Testament law commanded giving and tithing to the temple and of all their resources, and they would even get to their little herb garden and like try to cut off a tenth of their herbs and like give that like such a minute little thing. And so everyone from the outside looked at affairs and like, man, that is like the pinnacle standard of righteousness. And so you can imagine if you're there and you're a fisherman, you're a tax collector, you're someone else in society that's not one of these religious elite, and now you hear Jesus say, hey, unless your righteousness surpasses their righteousness, you can't enter the kingdom of heaven. I can just imagine the initial reaction. People must have been like, what? Like, if they ain't going to make it, I'm not going to make it, right? That's what a lot of people were thinking. It's like, wow, that's the guy we all look to as like, now that person follows the law to the letter. That guy's perfect on the outside. So what was he saying? What was Jesus getting at with this? Now, it's important to see and zoom out and see the encounters Jesus has had with the Pharisees. And he's had several. You can read about them in the Gospels. And on many accounts, this is what Jesus calls them out on. He calls them out on the heart for their obedience. In fact, he oftentimes points out that, sure, on the outside, they look great. But on the inside, something is drastically missing. In fact, Jesus gives two very, very clear pictures and illustrations when giving them a strong talking. And he says, in one example, Jesus says, you guys are like the people who are going to go use a cup to drink. And you'll wash the outside of the cup, but never wash the inside of the cup and drink from it. On the outside, it looks great. But on the inside, it's filthy. It's dirty. And then an even stronger statement when Jesus was challenging the Pharisees, he says, you guys are like whitewashed tombs. Now, most of the burials back in the day would have been a carving on the side of a mountain. So it would be like this hole dug out, and then you'd see a roll stoned in. And so what happens is they would whitewash and paint 
these tombstones. So it looked beautiful on the outside, but what are you going to find when you go inside? A corpse, something rotting, something dead inside. That's the claim Jesus was making to them. So he's not saying like, hey, I want you to do more good deeds than the Pharisees. That's not what Jesus is getting at with this passage. He's not saying well, you got to outdo them. In fact, this is one of, the, one of the quotes I love that I was reading this. Dr. David Platt, a pastor and author, he said this. Jesus says that it's not enough to be righteous on the outside if you're not also righteous on the inside. What Jesus is demanding is not more righteous deeds done by human effort, but more righteous hearts by divine grace. You see, the Pharisees had all these external works, but Jesus was constantly prodding at them because he could see the thoughts and intentions of their heart. They were following the letter and then even adding additional rules as barriers and fences to keep them from breaking the letter of the law, but their hearts were far from God. They missed the whole purpose of the covenant relationship with God and his people. They were so wrapped up in doing certain deeds that they missed out on the personal aspect of a relationship with God. And Jesus is demanding something deeper. Christianity is not about trying to follow a set of rules. It's so much more. It's about knowing that the creator of the universe has sent his son Jesus Christ to die a death he didn't deserve, to pay for your sins, and to grant you eternal life and relationship with him. That Jesus grants you access to the family of God, that Jesus brings you in through his sacrifice. And that life is what manifests itself in a life of obedience. I want to make sure that I'm clear with this. Jesus is not introducing this quantitative view of righteousness. Have any of you ever taken a standardized test? I hate test taking. Anybody here for college or anything? Yeah. And you, know, you have like all those different scales, like you got to get this score to this score to pass. And, you know, so what I want us to understand is Jesus is saying, like, you see the Pharisees on my righteousness scale scored to 90 to 94. If you want to get into the kingdom of heaven, you got to be like 95 and above, right? That's this quantitative way of thinking about it. Don't, don't miss this. It's not what Jesus is teaching. You can live a good life on the outside. You can look like a righteous person and still miss the kingdom of heaven. It's not about how good you look on the outside. It's not about how many good deeds you can add up in your life. It's not about trying to outweigh your bad with your good as if there's this huge scale in the sky. That is not what Jesus is teaching. He's challenging us to not settle for this external righteousness that just tries to show people how good we are. But rather, he's challenging us to pursue this internal righteousness that shows people how gracious and powerful God is because he's transformed your life from the inside out. You see, when we receive the righteousness of Christ, we're changed on the inside. We are truly transformed, and then we can truly live out this calling that God has placed us. You know, as we mentioned earlier, that the Sermon on the Mount, as you first read it, there's a temptation that can come up. In, in many ways, you can read the Sermon on the Mount, and you're tempted to think that you have to gain the approval of God by trying to live out all of these certain characteristics and laws. But it's always important for us to get the order right. That Jesus first invites you into the kingdom. Jesus first invites you into the family. And then he teaches you and then he empowers you to live this kingdom lifestyle. 
He first rescues you from your sin, gives you a new identity and a new life, and then challenges you to live this life of obedience. It's not for gaining God's approval. It's from having God's approval. Because you've been restored, because you've been brought in, now you've been challenged to live this kind of life as a way of bringing honor and glory to God, not as a way of trying to earn God's favor. That's a huge shift, a huge shift that happens here in the passage of Scripture. You see, the Sermon on the Mount describes the way in which men and women are freed to live when we finally commit ourselves to the authority and kingship of Jesus. And so I want to wrap up as we think through a few things that we can draw from this passage. What can we pull away from this text? The first thing that I would want to challenge you is to remember that Christ is the fulfillment of all Scripture. That it all points to him, that he is the final fulfillment, the culmination, the completion of the Scripture. Another thing I want to draw our attention to is reminding us of the value of the Word of God. Jesus doesn't, in essence, remove it and dismiss it. He elevated it, and he highlighted its importance, and he showed us how it all points to him, how in him it finds its fulfillment. That should give us an encouragement to believe in the perseverance and authority of the scripture. And I also want to challenge you to think about the eternal rewards mentioned in this passage, that if this is true, that Jesus Christ is saying, this is what I have come to do, and this is what I'm calling you to do, then being honest with ourselves and asking ourselves, Am I living the kind of life that honors the Lord in the way that I'm living out his teachings and his commands through my obedience? And am I helping to pass this on to someone else? If I believe this to be true, and this is the gospel, this is the good news, and this is the life that God has called me to live, am I living it? And then am I teaching it and passing it on? That's the charge that Jesus would give to us. And then also want to recognize... That in order to be able to enter heaven, our righteousness must be a righteousness that conforms to the scripture. It's not about us trying to earn God's approval. It's not about us trying to do more good deeds. It's us finally coming to the end of ourselves and recognizing that we need to repent of our sins, place our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And through his power, through his transformation, through his identity, then we can finally live out our calling as followers of Jesus Christ. Would you join me as we close in prayer as our worship team comes back up to the stage? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are truly grateful for your text and your word. And I want to just ask that you would continue to work in all of our hearts to help us see the need for you. Help us recognize that we on our own merit and strength cannot earn your favor, but that you give it to us graciously and freely that you invite us into your family through Jesus Christ and that you empower us with your spirit to live the life that you call us to live. Lord, as we continue to worship, would you be honored and glorified here this morning. We pray this in the powerful name of Jesus Christ. Amen.